Hey everybody, welcome to the Blender Report, where news meets rational thinking. I'm your host, Jonathan Harvey. This is your co-host, Liam DeBoer. Liam, what's up, dude? Not too much, brother. Today we're going to be chatting about the declining trust in Canadian media, Tucker Carlson's interview with Russia's President Vladimir Putin, NATO warning about a decades-long war with Russia, and the American College of Pediatricians finding that gender reassignment surgeries have no mental benefits. However, if before we get going into things, you wouldn't mind giving us a positive rating on Spotify or subscribing to our YouTube channel wherever you're watching, that would be greatly appreciated. All right, let's get into it. So first off, trust in Canadian media is falling with the CRTC research paper indicating that only 36% of Canadians trust their news media. Uh, just 37% are satisfied with the diversity and quality of information from Canadian outlets. Younger Canadians show even lower trust at 23%, and regional disparities are notable, ranging from 24% in Alberta to 42% in Prince Edward Island. These findings follow a Statistics Canada report placing media trust below that of police, which is at 62%. The education system at 47%, justice system at 46%, and parliament at 32%. Imagine being so terrible at your job <laughs> that people trust politicians more than you. They hate you more than the government. So That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the uh, what's the reasoning here, do you, do you see, for declining trust in media? Well, I think it's a couple of major things, right? Um, you know, first of all, we spend over $2 billion a year in taxpayer dollars on supporting and funding mainstream media. Um, you know, so it's state controlled, right? And you know that they're just towing whatever the government's line is. In this case, it is Trudeau's. But in general, I mean, this has been an ongoing problem for a long time. It's not just Trudeau. We like to highlight him because he's he's exacerbated or made it worse. And he's he's really, really leveraging these tools for his own good. Um, but I think that that plays a big role. You know, another another big one is there's very few people, there's very few corporations that actually control all of the media, right? So you have these these very powerful corporations that basically control um, the information that's being disseminated across all of these channels, which is why social media was so important or is so important for us. Um, so I think that 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 removes a lot of trust from people as well, especially considering a lot of these large corporations are in bed with the government. You know what I mean? Um, and then you know I would say the other the other big thing is they constantly lie. <laughs> they constantly lie. So because we have social media, we call them out on their bullshit all the time, right? Like you hear that, like, I don't know if it's the Trusted News Initiative or something else, but like you hear them all parroting, like, brought to you by Pfizer. And then it's interesting, you, you look at this and you see all these media companies parroting the exact same words on the exact same stories, right? So it's not a coincidence. And then I notice as we, you know, as we do the newsletter now, um, and same thing in, in the in the written media as well. Like you find one clip and you go search it and there's like 50 different outlets. You're like, oh, okay, cool. I know who they're owned by. You know, so that makes it challenging. And, you know, I think another big thing is when they do make mistakes, like it's like the first rule of, of media is don't admit your mistakes. And, and, and for me, that's so insane, right? Like our big thing is as humans and as a company, if we make an error, we, we call ourselves out on it and we try to fix it, right? You know, that's how you have... That's how you build trust with people. And they refuse to do anything like that. And um, I think one big thing, too, is making it very well known as to where your biases are. So, for instance, everything on this podcast is very much just our opinions. We don't try to portray ourselves as just these straight-tied journalists that are just the facts. No, of and course not. No, like we're, we're very much coloring things with our own opinions, and we don't try to hide that at all. And then on, on the written front, it's like even on the newsletter, it's always separated between story and then here's our coloring of the story but y they do it in much more subtle ways it's much more manipulative well they don't they don't tell you there's no information that says hey i'm left-leaning you have to know and it's like you talk to people and they're like oh well there's there's alternative opinions out there yeah there's the national post their center you know what i mean it's we don't have equal representation on both sides and i think that's also another thing that drives a lot of the trust out of it for people as well right it's one of those things where anybody that doesn't go along with the mainstream agenda automatically just gets labeled a alt-right or far-right or, or conspiracy theorist. It's like the, or conspiracy <laughs> theorist that that tagline just gets attached to your name. But then when people like say Trudeau or Singh are mentioned in all of these all of these articles, it's never like far-left radicalist Justin Trudeau. No, it's those those things those kind of. Uh, 
derogatory labels never get attached to them. And that's where their bias is, I think, much more malicious in a sense, because it's like they're trying to hide it under these things. Under I agree. These, yeah. They're trying to they're trying to pitch it as truth. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a couple other big things, right? Like really the the spawn of social media and what it has become today, it keeps these guys in check, right? So I think because people are, you know, like take take the war in, in Gaza and uh, between um, Israel and Palestine. People are showing you video footage on the ground that are live, that are there, that are from Palestine or Israel, and they're showing you what's happening. And then the media says something else. Yeah. So people watching you go, no, no, like I, I'm, I'm, I can see it's happening over there. Like no, 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 no. We're telling you the truth. So I mean that that the dichotomy between reality and then media that that is just so apparent these days. I think that's another big thing. And and last. Um, Last big reason, I think, is because of all the censorship legislation that's being passed. I mean, you look at, for anybody paying attention, when you look at, you know, um, C-11, the Online new, uh, Streaming Act, C-18, the Online News Act, C-36, which is going to be retabled under a new name, but that's the Online Hate Speech Bill, which controls speech, and now Bill S-210. When you look at these things, together they're a crazy, crazy weapon, but even individually they're quite insane. And and, and you look at what's happening, they're, they're trying to control the information that's allowed to go out on social media because, like I said before, that is what people are using to sort of break down the truth in the media. They're like, oh, well, they figured us out, so let's go take control of that tool as well. And it's just becoming so obvious, you know? And I think this is a big reason uh, why we created Blender is to sort of be this alternative voice, this like, hey, yeah, we've got our opinions, but we'll tell you when we're sharing an opinion and we'll try to be as logical and honest as possible. And I just think there's a big gap in that space. And that's why, uh, that's why people don't trust them anymore. Well, yeah, you know, even we got caught up in that. So if anybody's listening and wondering where our posts have gone, just to let you know, the the Blender News Instagram account has been uh, caught under that that net of the Bill C-18. And so our content on that page is no longer available on Instagram for Canadians. So if you don't run a VPN or anything, you'll have to uh, follow our new page, which is blender.report uh, for on Instagram. And that's where we'll be hosting all the podcast podcast clips and op-ed videos from here on out but it is one of those things where that scenario is a win-win for the government because on one hand either instagram and meta starts playing ball like google recently has with with these uh news bills and then they can start having a little bit more sway over the algorithms what gets pushed out they've one of the things in that bill is that they want to make sure that they're promoting Canadian content. And we were making Canadian yeah, content. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, so it's very, <laughs> it's it's very obvious that it's Canadian uh, content that goes along with what the government's views are. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not just Canadian content in general. Then, or so on one hand, either they get control of the algorithms and they can push content that is beneficial to their narratives, or on this hand then it just gets completely outlawed and they're still the only ones with the alternative means, which is your TV networks, your your radio, where you can get these other other aspects. But yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to see how for, for them it really is it really is a win-win other than maybe polling because obviously that hurts their polling. But. Sure, but I mean, at the end of the day, elections are won in the last few months, really. And, you know, if you control the entire media narrative, it's pretty easy to pitch things the way you want, right? Yeah. So, and another interesting thing just happened as well, uh, Instagram and threads for now, I think it's going to expand. They're no longer going to amplify political content. So if you create political content like we do, and they're still kind of figuring out what that term means, it's a little vague. I think they're going to cast a wide net. Because now I was going to say now fucking the yeah. Super Bowl is <laughs> politicized. Well, that's <laughs> right. If you're cheering yeah. for the Chiefs, you're supposedly a liberal now or whatever. Oh, you're like, like I just like football. Leave, <laughs> yeah. leave sports alone, guys. Yeah. But anyway, it was, um, yeah, so they're going to stop amplifying content. So... Um, if you follow people like us, you still see our content. It won't, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of amplifying it within the algorithm for your own followers, but people like you and I won't get any coverage. Not that we were really getting much anyway, but no explore page, no reels, no anything like the for you stuff, non-existent now when it comes to political content. So they're rolling that out over the next couple of weeks. And it just seems like, you know, you look at it, Instagram's like, well, we just don't want to have these hard conversations online. It's like, no, you, you guys are trying to find a way to navigate that is best for you so the government stays out of your hair and so that they get what they want, which is they get to be the media narrative. That's what they want, right? So it's unfortunate that Instagram's doing this, um, obviously for us. And, 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 and obviously because we need a way to communicate with the world, not just you and I. People need a way to communicate with each other so we can highlight and identify where things are going wrong. And like, 
you know, I, I don't want to butcher this, but I'll, I'll touch on it briefly. Is remember back in like the 20, mid 2015s, 20, mid 2010s, rather, um, when Facebook was being used for all the uprising in the Middle East, the Arab Spring, uh, you know, the uh, Euro Maiden, that was all charged by Facebook and social media. And look, if you look at it, I don't care whether it's right or wrong. It's like these people had a platform to go discuss the reality based on what their government was telling them, which was a faulty media narrative. We're kind of falling under the same thing here, you know, and I understand that people may think it's not quite as extreme. Sure, no problem. But the reality is these tools are utilized to sort of um, free the people. And when you take it away, when the government takes it away, that's one thing. And now the social media companies themselves are doing it as well. So, I mean, I don't know, man. Again, this is why we created Blender News, right? Sign up for the sign up for the newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll see you there. Blendernews.com. Let's go. Yeah, but it seems like even to the the funding of the media outlets from Trudeau is starting to backfire as well with Bell laying off 4,800 employees. They're starting to try to sell a lot of their radio stations, 45 of their, their local radio stations. They said that they're trying to sell because they just did their quarterly earnings, which was $382 million, which is down from $528 million last year. So you're like, they're losing hundreds of millions over a year. What's well, a dead model, right? Yeah. So you can only beat a horde. You can only beat that dead horse for so long. Yeah. It's just that our government is basically saying, hey, let's just continue to pay for it and bolster it as long as we can until we figure out the other side, then we'll just kind of move on from there. Yeah. Did you see Trudeau's, <laughs> Trudeau's temper tantrum about Bell? I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was pretty peeved. I thought it was good. I was like, good, man. Yeah. Like, I, I get it, though. They just subsidized them for $40 million and have continued to, to provide them subsidies over the years. I mean, like I said, we pay $2 billion a year in subsidies to media companies, right? So <clears throat> Bell's the largest. I believe Bell's the largest media conglomerate in our country. So when you look at that, you're like, yeah, they're getting a good chunk of this money. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess they're like, well, we paid you. You have to keep the staff up. It's like, hey, look, that's not how it works. Like you're you're playing in the corporate world. You're like, hey, we're going to give you money. Like all is fair, man. They're going to fire their people. That's what's going to happen. You're not paying for them just to stay alive. And these guys are going to just continue eating it, dude. They are not the government. They are in the business of making money. So I'm glad. You know what? Honestly, maybe it maybe it'll give them a little shake up and they'll stop funding them with so much, at least, at least to these big conglomerates. I don't know. We'll see. That's a bit of a wish. So probably not. Yeah. Yeah. They'll probably just go, fine. We'll give you more money. Yeah. But you got to stay them all. You got to keep them all open. Okay. We nationalize media completely. <laughs> yeah. Bell is now Canada Bell. That's yeah. it. It's under Trudeau's. I was like, come on, man. It's not far. I honestly, I don't see that pitch being far off. You know what? It's maybe. funny. I joke about it being nationalized, but it's like, well, I guess if we're subsidizing it at $2 billion, what's the difference? It's pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much is. Wow. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I mean, but speaking of alternative media, uh, Tucker Carlson just interviewed Vladimir Putin showing that you can still get ratings in the media space, which, I mean, he got, what, almost 200 million views already on that in interview? Across yeah. channels, he's probably eclipsed that. But they talked about the potential peace talks with Ukraine, Putin alleging that Boris Johnson intervened to stop a prior peace deal they also talked about the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline and also the historical context between uh, the relationship of Russia and Ukraine. What were your big takeaways from the interview? Um, so I'd say the big message from him that I got was that he's looking to broker peace because he brought it up a few times in a few different ways. But he's basically talking to the U.S. like, hey, let's broker peace. But he wants to do it on his own terms. So he wants to take, he wants to maintain Crimea. It looks like the Donbass region. And then he said it'd be nice if they had a pro-Russian uh, um, president in Kiev, um, in Ukraine. But I think that's wild. I mean, that's not going to happen. If they, if they do end up giving some, up some land, which I think is probably in the cards at some point. I'm not sure if it's Crimea and the Donbass region. Um Given, given the way things have played out, it wouldn't be surprising. But if that's the case, all the, all the there's there's no chance there's ever going to be a, a pro-Russian president in Ukraine because Ukraine is now part of the West. Like, that, that's over, right? Like, with all the money that they've shoveled in there, they purchased Ukraine. That's what this was. So there will always, as long as Ukraine is what it is and, and these two have this relationship between U.S., pardon me, um, Ukraine and Russia, there will never be a pro-Russian president there, ever. There's no chance. It's always going to be under West or U.S. rule. When you look at the eastern border, um, you look at you know uh, Donetsk and Luhansk in the Donbass region, and Crimea. It's a little further south. They've done rush. They've done referendums there. Now I, I can't say how, how how reasonable or decent they are, right? But the thing is, they're alarmingly pro-Russia. And you know, Crimea has been under um, under Russia's rule essentially since 2014. And I know that there's been there's been conflict and issues, but let the people there 
are somewhat at peace. They're not, they don't have a big problem with it. You know, I, I think the same thing is in the Eastern part as well. But when you look at it, you're like, okay, they don't mind being a part of Russia. But again, when you take the fact that they're, that their people are being slaughtered by Russians right now, and they've been, they've been occupied for nearly two years, I just don't think you're going to get enough support because you have to think about it. If it's a democracy, you're not going to get enough votes to have a president that's going to be pro-Russia based on what they've done to the country. So I just don't see it happening. But again, that 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 in conjunction with the fact that the West has poured hundreds of billions of dollars into the country. And I know a lot of it's been, you know, it goes back to U.S. companies to build munitions and this and that and whatever. But they've effectively purchased. They, they've made them no longer a neutral state. For sure. You know, and especially like now they're joining the European Union, right? So well, they're going to. That, that's kind of in the works. So you look at that and you're like, no, like they're effectively a part of the West. So that's where I see that going. Um, the other thing, though, with, the, with, his, with that interview that I thought was interesting, the Boris Johnson part. Mm -hmm. You know, Boris Johnson kind of breaking apart the peace deal they had about 18 months ago. Now, it's interesting. A lot of media outlets really jumped on this road. They're like, oh, this is a crazy conspiracy. This is insane. This is nuts. This, this never happened. But Boris Johnson didn't come out and say that it didn't happen. I, from what I could read, what he what he did was he called um, he called Tucker a traitor. He said that he was fawning over him and some other word I've never heard. A guffawing? I don't fucking know. <laughs> maybe some maybe some Brit term. But anyway, something basically he was like you know um, thinking he's like this pro-Russian traitor journalist. And look, at the end of the day. Anytime a government organization is telling a journalist who's just trying to be a journalist that they're a traitor, you got to look at the person saying it. Like the government is the problem here. He's just having conversations with people. You can disagree with the with what's happening, but don't attack the journalist. Why don't you go at the information? But apparently he couldn't, you know. And then I was looking at this. Um, I was looking into this on the weekend. Then I also listened to JFK. Pardon me, RFK Jr. He was saying the same thing. He was like, "Yeah, Boris, there was a deal on the table. Ukraine had signed." And Boris Johnson walked in there and blew up the deal. I guess why I highlight, I kind of mentioned both of those points is I wanted to say it seems as though that is accurate information that Boris Johnson did go in there, you know, about 18 months ago, and he is responsible for this war having dragged out for over for almost two years, you know, and now this is hundreds of billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of lives, and I just find it alarming that there's no real pushback, there's no recourse, there's no one going, hey, like this guy basically single-handedly stopped this from from ending like why are why is there no accountability here and why was he sticking his nose in it i don't know i just i just feel like he i just feel like he has some some dues to pay it's definitely interesting seeing that come all all to light and then also just how uh just how kind of running around the accusations he was not really getting into them directly and i mean there's too much money on on the table with all of these things to think that there wouldn't be incentives for getting in the way of a, a peace deal as well you know especially when you take into consideration how afghanistan just ended and they needed a new forever war to be able to you know print their money and like like you were even pointing out a lot of this ends up just coming right back to American companies or Western companies. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of incentive there to kind of mess up the the peace deals. I do think it is interesting, and I even pointed it out in the one video that I made. How many Western conservatives are are fawning over Putin? Though there's a lot. Someone who who's asked, someone asked that question online. I saw that. I'm like. Okay, fair question. So who's fawning over him? Uh, a lot of the Twitter Twitter journalists, the commentators, like the the one in particular is uh, he goes by clandestine. He's a uh, anonymous. It's a lot of like the maybe it's maybe it's more so the conservative or sorry the conspiracy wing of the conservatives, right? Because I think what they expected to happen was that. Putin would come on and illuminate a lot of the corruption that's happening in the West. Yeah. And while he didn't do that really in any significant manner, he did allude to at one point how the bureaucracies, the intelligence agencies are more so controlling the direction of America than the actual elected officials, right. which, which I, I think, think is hard to, which I think is hard to argue against. But he didn't really dive deep into the Western agenda. And I think that's what a lot of these people were wanting was essentially somebody on the global stage to, uh, to go along and to put out their help push their narrative. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I I get that, and that's what and that's what I'm pointing to, where they were looking to Putin as some sort of savior, some sort of hero to right. champion in their message. And it's like it's not to say that their message doesn't have merit, merit, 
but it's just that they're kind of a lot. It's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Yeah, people feel wronged here, and they're looking for some way to sort of some something to back them up to be like, hey, look, we are right. This is what's going on. It's like, yeah, but you don't need you don't need Putin to do this. I mean, I think if you look at the interview overall, it wasn't really alarming in either direction. It wasn't really you know it, you'd have you'd have to sort of dig deep to extrapolate something that's not really there to find. It, you know what I mean? It was it was it was kind of bland. Yeah, not to be not to like downplay it but it was kind of just kind of bland i mean tucker was sort of being on his best behavior and not pushing too hard and putin was just sort of running a predictable narrative you know what i mean like that's kind of what it was um one other thing that kind of surprised me which is a bit alarming actually i think i actually think it's pretty fucked up um is that tucker carlson is on a hit list in ukraine yeah and and i was just like wait a minute wait a minute. so i look into this so this hit list has been around for a while you know and he's actually he's been he was he was put on it back in June. So it's anybody that like anybody that's like goes against the state of Ukraine and they have like safety, this, that, whatever, a few, a few like a few things that you, you'd fall into there. Like um, Gorbachev was on it. And then there's a bunch of other people, though, like originally it was created for people that were Ukrainian military and police that kind of switched side defected, I guess would be the right word. And so that's what it was created for originally. And then it, then it just continued to grow. And now it includes anybody in the world that says shit about Ukraine. So you've got journalists on there. You've got people from Russia. You've got people from the States. Um, you got Roger Waters on there, you know? Um, and then obviously uh, Tucker Carlson. Now on this thing, they also list how and when these people died, how they were, what was the word they used? Not eliminated. It was something, it was something a little darker. So anyway, I just, I just thought it was pretty alarming that, you know, you have a nation that's got this public hit list that's online, right? And they say it's, well, it's not government run, but it's government connected, they've said. You know, a couple sources are like, hey, this is pretty, this is, this is clearly connected to the government. So you have this, this first world country that's trying to join the European Union, that's trying to join NATO, and they have a public hit list with Americans on it. I'm like, what the, what the hell is going on? Like, that is so wild to me. I mean, I don't really know if it's a bunch of kids being idiots, but the fact that it's connected to the government in some way or another, I don't know. It's just, I find that to be a little alarming. Ah, to put it in perspective, it's like the CIA has a kill list of with Americans on it. So, but it's not so a I mean, public list online. True. Yeah, but because did you ever see the one of them where they were trying to plan on how to take out Julian Assange while he was in? Yeah, the CIA had a full plan drafted as to he was in one of the embassies, and their plan was to essentially cause a gang fight out front, start having the bullets fly, and they were like, "We just need to make sure there's an operative there that makes sure one of those bullets flies into that." embassy wow. where it needs to and there's so they were going to plan out this whole street shootout and you're like yeah that's the that's the american government being like yeah yeah so yeah it's crazy when and when you take into consideration just how deeply in, intertwined they are with even these kind of things like I, i'm sure even the cia would probably go hand in hand with say the ukrainian government on some of those you're like oh you you guys have this guy on your list yeah. too like how do <laughs> like, we make this work we kind of know i mean even with <laughs> we know they're involved there somehow even with the euro maiden right so you know that you know you know they've played a role there i just i guess i found it alarming it's like there are things it's like saying the quiet part out loud mm -hmm. you know what i mean you're like oh it's online and people can see it yeah that's pretty that's pretty messed up dude well and even the eu was talking about like did you see whether this got any more movement i just kind of saw the original stories pop out about tucker being listed as a no travel into the eu did you see that no i haven't seen that yeah okay so they were they were just apparently floating the idea around that they should put a travel band on tucker that's wild yeah and then it's one of those things where again you look at it and go they wouldn't be doing that to a prominent american without the um, without first american support american support For like sure. somebody at the government saying yeah you go yeah, you go put him on there go, go yeah. ahead Go ahead. Yeah, it's crazy. So you see the pushback about it. And and I think that does just go to show that these people are very scared. I don't think they're necessarily terrified of everyday people just eating up what Putin said, because there's a there is, I think, the majority of people that understand that it's just another source of propaganda. But they just are terrified of having not having a monopoly on the narrative. Yeah, I guess it breaks down the story that they've been telling, and I think that's what they were looking at this going, uh-oh, this could really shatter some things for us, and we'll have to do some damage control. You know, and they 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 guess they they bash the the journalist himself to try to discredit. It's like you you take an approach from all angles, right? Discredit him as much as you can, call the information lies, you know, fill in your truth in the media, and then everything just kind of goes away. 
Um, but again, it goes back to our first conversation today. Why don't people trust the media? Well, there's why. You yeah. got a journalist who's talking to one of the one of the leaders of a country that's been in a hot war for over two years, that's leeching hundreds of billions of dollars from the West. He just wants to have a conversation with them, and now he's on a now he's on a hit list. Like, come on, guys, why don't we trust the media? So uh, this kind of segues into our next topic as well with NATO warning about a decades-long war with Russia. So NATO's Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg urges the alliance to prepare for a potential prolonged conflict with Russia, emphasizing the uncertainty of Russia's actions in Ukraine. Stoltenberg calls for increased military investment and the expansion of Europe's industrial base. He praises Germany's commitment to allocate 2% of its economic output to defense in 2024. Stoltenberg warns that Europe's economy lags behind Russia's, posing a security risk if not addressed. Despite his concerns, Russian President Vladimir Putin insists on avoiding global conflict, emphasizing its destructive consequences. So are these realistic concerns or is NATO just antagonizing Russia? Um, my take is that NATO is just sort of antagonizing Russia. Um, I think that it's good to be cautious of what Russia is capable of. And I think it's good to be adequately prepared to uh, defend yourself. I do. I, I really believe that. Um, that's just because that's the world we live in today. That being said, Russia is one country. You know, um, there, no one else is showing substantial support for them, like from, from a military perspective, going, well, if you fuck with Russia, it's on. Like, we kind of know how that would shake out. But no one's really like there's no there's no NATO force of the is East. There any, is there any military... <clears throat> instances within the BRICS alliance is there any is just that's economic. Pure, purely economic just economic. No, no, no no so yeah. like there's nothing there right so um you look at that you kind of go okay well Russia's one country and like honestly they're in the middle of a hot war they're not exactly in the most advantageous position to to start a wider conflict mm -hmm. so it's very unlikely that anything's going to happen anytime soon and then I mean Stoltenberg's like oh well the Russian economy is just building arms we need to do the same it's like well they're not gonna be able to sustain their economy that way they're gonna have to switch it up that means that they're, they're struggling a little bit, right? Like, that's not that's not a positive way to grow your economy. You need more stuff than weapons yeah. for your economy to work. So I don't really think that that's a good um, point of support for Stoltenberg. Um, I also think, like, you know, if you look at the size of NATO and you look at sort of what their military capabilities are... Um, that's why I think this is alarmist. You know, you've got, you've got how many, like, 29 countries, I think, in NATO... <clears throat> yeah, and what they're doing is they're demanding that each country spend X and X amount of their GDP on it, right? They're, they're not actually short on weapons, they're not short on arms, they're not short on military, they're not short on any of these things. Sure, you need to replenish after fighting the war in Ukraine and fill these things up, and I get that, but no, to me, this is just some guy who's warmongering. You know what he sounds like? To me, he sounds like the spokesperson for the military-industrial complex. That's what it sounds like to me. He's going, hey, let's take, you know this idea that you've got here and let's bolster that and we'll really double down and we'll get everybody's support, you know? And that, that's kind of what it feels like because right now I don't really think there's a need for it. In fact, if anything, I would say that the other economies in the West are really struggling and need to focus on other things. So as long as you're adequately prepared, why don't you chill the fuck out? Yeah, well, this could point to one of the things that I've pushed to in the past before where a lot of these military guys that push for or even the politicians that support military intervention and expansion it's the just the tiff idea is if if i open that door then we're in because there's no half measures we can't go to war on half measures so if we just get us involved in the conflict even just a little bit then we're all in right and then so it's that goal of a lot of these people i think when they want to see say even just the bureaucracies that they're involved in have more power because if they're at the head of those bureaucracies then they now have more power and all of these people it's like it's like people inside of a corporation in different segments trying to fight for more funding for the next year right and it's a lot I, that's what i get from this is that a lot of it is just <clears throat> all right we need to boogeyman this scenario as much as humanly possible to get essentially more power more resources into our yeah. hands yeah i see that too but i mean also, if you look, and people are like, oh, you can't trust Putin. To be like, look, you can trust logic, though. There, there, you have to be able to trust a certain amount of logic. Like, for Putin to be in control of that country for so long, look, I know that a lot of things he's done have been terrible, but you can't say the guy hasn't got it figured out. Yeah. He is using logic. He is somewhat intelligent and has a reasonable group of people around him, or else he couldn't maintain that power. That's just a fact, right? So when you look at this, you go, well... Is it logical to expand the war into NATO? And he has said himself repeatedly, no, that is stupid. He's like, we are not interested in going to war with NATO. 
because it will create a massive global conflict that won't serve anybody. It will be bad for all of humanity. That's not why we did this. If you look at like, you know, I think it's important to sort of back into why, you know, Russia and Putin invaded Ukraine just for a quick second, not justifying his actions, but we know that a lot of this happened because NATO continued to move east mm -hmm. and continued to basically set up shop on his border. That's why this happened and that's why he pushed back or that's why he's saying it. But if you look at it, historically, it's accurate, right? Again, I'm not justifying his actions, but that's why. So when you look at this, it doesn't, nothing points to the fact that he is now looking for a wider conflict with the West. In fact, he's, I'm, I'm actually surprised he's allowing this to be such a proxy war fought by the West. You know what I mean? Because he's letting them get away with a lot. The only thing he's basically said was, don't put your own troops on the ground. That's it. Or I'm going to kill yeah. him. Like is what he said to Britain the other day. So look, this is, in, in my opinion, this is just alarmist on Stoltenberg and NATO's, in, on NATO's side, because, you know, first of all, I think we need to focus on other things. Second of all, Russia has got no interest in doing this. And I really don't believe it serves anybody in any way at all from a logical perspective. So, no, I think I think Buddy's just, like you said, he's just trying to put more resources in his pocket. Yeah, no, I agree there. All right, uh, last up for today, we've got the American College of Pediatricians finding that gender reassignment treatments have no mental health benefits. So the American... American College of Pediatrician opposes gender affirming measures for youth with gender identity incongruence, citing a lack of long term evidence in over 60 studies. They urge addressing mental illness and family dysfunction in gender dysphoric children instead. Several European countries have reversed their stance, stance on youth gender reassignment treatments based on similar evidence. And they also emphasize that transitioning pertains to appearance, not gender identity. They highlight high suicide rates post-intervention and advocate for detransitioning support. The group recommends encouraging acceptance of biological sex and addressing mental health through intensive psychotherapy for both individual and family. So my question here would be, why uh, do politicians and media outlets not follow the science on this topic? Don't they just make up their own science these days? Yeah. <laughs> Is that how it goes? Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll just pay this guy to do the study the way we want. We are the science. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So the this group, the American, uh, what's it called? The American... College of Pediatricians. Yeah, so they're a smaller group. If you look at how they're they're framed in the... In the um, if you look at how they're framed in the media, they're like, oh, right, conservative. <laughs> well, I'm not even kidding, right? So the AAP, the uh, American Association of Pediatrics, is the large one, right? There's like 65,000 uh, pediatricians involved in that group. Now, if you look, though, they are deeply in bed with the government. Mm. So they're the ones that are like, they back in like 2018, they're like, yeah, gender transitions for minors, all this other stuff. I'm like, that is so wild that you guys are saying this. There's no, there's no solid proof for this. But it, for me, it just goes to prove like, the reason I'm saying this is to highlight that our organizations, a lot of these organizations are captured, right? So when you have a group like this saying, hey, this is really bad, and then you go look at the other group that's supposed to be, you know, the, um, what would be the word I'm looking for? The official group. Well, they're deeply embedded with the government, and they're saying the complete opposite thing, which goes against the science and is terrible for children. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, to me, this is just one more red flag. Like, why are we doing this? And I don't know what else they need. You know, when I think there was a bunch of Norwegian countries, um, what's sorry, Scandinavian countries rather, um, that use this data to to reverse to reverse their entire strategy on this. They're like, look, we're not giving kids anything. We're not giving kids medication. We're not doing any gender transition surgeries because it's just making things worse. Um, you know, so some countries are paying attention. Here, I think, I think the bigger problem you have here is I don't think it's actually about the science, and I don't think it's about the kids anymore. I think it's become a political war. It's become a, um, a battleground for left versus right. So they're just using the kids as weapons, which is actually so much worse. You know, They can't backtrack because then politically, because everything's politicized, politically they have to say, oh, we were wrong. We did the wrong thing. We implemented the wrong policy and all these things. So you're not really going to see these guys reverse course. They're just going to keep making stuff up that makes no sense. They're going to keep denying science that is factual. And, and you know, I'll, I'll mention something in a second about suicide rates. You know, they're just going to keep doing these things because they need to do it so they can maintain their political narrative. It's just really sad that now kids are the weapons of choice. You know, mm -hmm. that's just, that's terrible. And, you know, there's one very large study. I don't want to butcher it, but I'm going to get it pretty close. Um, it was done with over 6 million people in Denmark um, about... Uh, suicide rates um, from transgenderism, trend, transgenderism rather. So the suicide rates were substantially higher at post-surgery. 
So there's a couple things you could consider there. And because it was such a large sample size, that's why I'm like, oh no, this is this is really good data. So <clears throat> there's a couple things you could consider. You know, one argument against this being an obvious thing is you could say, well, post-surgery, um, those people that are transgender have had more time to, you know, to sort of fight through whatever, whatever mental struggles they've had. So all you, you could say is, okay, to, to sort of, to sort of <clears throat> push back, you know, for those that didn't transition, does suicide, does suicide increase over time, you know, as they get older? And if it does, then I would say there might be a bit of a flaw in that study. But if it doesn't, if there's sort of a break point, then I think it shows strong support that it actually just makes things worse, mm -hmm. right? And so I just, I don't know what else people need. I think, I think the valuable thing is um, individually, a lot of us are paying attention. You know, like I'm having kids, there is no way they're going through this crap. Never, no chance. And it's not because I don't want them to live the life they, they want to. If they want to do it when they're an adult, by all means. But until then, like, what are we talking about? So I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing too. You know, I just, I, I want to highlight this one thing before I kind of throw it back to you is people think anytime you're against this, that you're anti-LGBTQ or anti-transgenderism or anti-people anti living the life their way. I'm not against any of those things. I'm only against it for children. I'm only against doing it to kids that don't have the mental faculties to make these decisions. And the science supports it. It's not just logical. We have objective fact. So I just wish people would get on board and stop playing this stupid political game. Yeah. And to me, I think it's one of those ideas of people say it's all about compassion, but if you look at it, let's say somebody's dealing with a mental issue will take, and I'm not saying these things are completely analogous, but let's say it was something like schizophrenia. Compassion for that person isn't all of a sudden just affirming that the voices they hear in their head are real and right. that they should listen to them. <clears throat> So sometimes compassion doesn't necessarily mean going along with whatever the other the person is is putting forward. Um, and then on the opposite end of it too, I look at it and go, none of these things get to the root issues of these problems. So when you look at the mental health of the people that go in for gender reassignment surgery, they usually have at least five serious markers of adverse, uh, whether that's be bullying, whether that be dysfunctional homes, depression, suicidal thoughts, all of this kind of stuff. So they're very much struggling. And then it seems to me that this is being sold to them as a solution. Right. Well, that all of these issues, it's like, because you're transgender, these are all the issues that you're dealing with. But if we go through and make your uh, make you transition on a uh, more physical front, then all of those issues will go away. But it seems that they only get exacerbated because uh, I think it's roughly 10% of the general population has dealt with suicidal thoughts at any given point, whereas 80% of transgender individuals. So you're like, that's an 800% increase. And then so it's a chicken or the egg conversation yeah. at that point. But then I try to go to the deeper thoughts on this topic as well and go, okay, what are the actual reasons that more people are say identifying as, uh, as the opposite gender? So I think it could be multiple things. One, our food sources are definitely fucking with our hormone structures. Yep. Um, I think that's pretty well scientifically proven that it makes kids' hormones go completely out of whack. Uh, then there's also the aspect of, I think we're dealing with a major meaning crisis in our societies these days where people don't feel like they have purpose in their lives. It's just kind of general nihilism, really. And then so they start to look at, say, identity as like, okay, these are the things that will give meaning to my life is right. whether it be my skin color, whether it be my gender, whether any of these identity politics issues. And then on, on the third front, it's extremely hard to ignore the fact that why does everybody going through the gender affirming measures look like the exact same people that I saw when there was a cutting epidemic in my ages growing up? I'm like, these look like the exact same groups of people that are kind of going towards physical harm to maybe feel something, to feel alive, to feel like they're like, I don't know what the whole thought process behind cutting is, but I think it's kind of that idea of, well, you know, this pain or whatever it be is makes me feel alive in some sort of way. 
And maybe that's going on here a little bit too, because it does look like the exact same group. Right. Even, even statistically, like when gender dysphoria first started popping up in the 1990s, it was predominantly young boys who would grow out of it by the time they were about 18, 20. And then now it's predominantly young teens, like girls. And that's the exact same group demographic that was cutting themselves a generation ago. And I go, it's too, it's too on the nose to think. So to me, it's not even a conversation of whether you want to interrupt people or whether you want to say infringe on people's abilities to live their lives, how they choose. To me, it's just a conversation about are any of these so-called solutions actually solutions or are they making the struggles of the people that you claim to be trying to help worse? And it seems to be the latter. Yeah. I mean, that's a very good point. I, I, I agree with everything you said. Yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. <clears throat> it's interesting when you try to back into the psychology around a lot of it. Um, I think the reality is at that age, you're so much more susceptible to believing that, oh, well, if I just do this one thing, it'll solve all of these problems. And I think that's what makes them so vulnerable and such easy prey for this type of stuff. Because, you know, I've got problems in my life, and I'm sure you do too. There's no way you could convince me that <laughs> cutting my dick off would <laughs> make it worse or make it better. Yeah. I just, I, I've got to like. <laughs> sorry, it's just kind of crazy when you think about it, man. Like, I've got a lot of, I got a lot of problems, like everybody else does. But you know, I have the the faculties and the wherewithal, you know, closing in on forty. Um, to kind of know the root of a lot of these problems and how to solve them. And I know where they come from and I know how to manage and how to deal with them. And maybe that makes me unique, but I think it's sort of a, a, a thing. It's like a coming of age thing. You get better with it as you get older. You start understanding more about the world around you. And it just, again, sort of highlights the point that we have to give these kids time to mature and to grow up and to understand more about themselves so they can say, hey, here are the problems I'm having. Are they actually correlated to how I identify as a human being? And do I need to change this? Or is it a myriad of other small things like getting picked on and this and that and not knowing, not having, you know, a path in life or, you know, not really understanding my identity. And I think, like you said, like 99 times out of a hundred, it's, it's, it's the identity. It's the, it's the not knowing your path. It's the, you need to mature first because going through these surgeries and, and using these, these medications is not the solution. And maybe, and maybe there is a couple individuals that, you know, would benefit from this tree. I think it's way overblown as to how many kids are actually being sold. This like stuff. I said, I think it's 1%. I think 99% is the yeah. other way. I, I actually, Somewhere I didn't, around I didn't there. mean that I wasn't like, I wasn't being facetious. I actually think it's that, I think that's Probably. accurate. Yeah. And, but then you look at what these kids are going through. So again, to your point about not just wanting to tell people they can't live the way that they think is best for them. It's about not selling these people a false, false hope or a false solution which is actually just going to fuck up their life substantially yeah. for the rest of for the rest of it. And I don't know if you saw that one tweet that I put up. It was from a trans activist, and they said, uh, "They said, I hate this transphobe talking point conspiracy theory or something like that that people are convincing kids to be transgender. As somebody that works or that are brainwashing kids into being transgender, as somebody that works with transgender individuals, do you know how hard it is convincing them that they are even one? And you're like, you're like, <laughs> well, you, you just contradicted yourself. You just said you're ah, trying. Snake eating its own tail. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, like, oh boy. Literally one sentence later, you're like, it's a conspiracy theory to say we're brainwashing kids to believe this. And in the next one, I'm, I'm saying, having a really hard time with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a really hard time convincing these kids. You're like, holy shit. Oh man, that's so good. But yeah, so, to pretend like that's not that's not a major part of it oh. i think i uh, yeah i think what when you look at that when you look at all the uh, this agenda stuff getting shoved down their throats through things like even just some of the stuff you see in disney shows nowadays you are kind of like fuck that's really creepy like have you seen <sighs> did you remember it was about a year ago there was a clip came out from a internal meeting with disney and the one girl said she's like i'm not even trying to hide it anymore it's uh my not so secret lgbt agenda that i'm shoving down all this uh content and you're just like all right so it's out there in the open now that you're like you're using your corporation as a way to feed this agenda of course and of it's course. so to me i look at that and go yeah I think that's a, probably a very accurate number to 99% of the people that end up going along with this are 
just being sold lies. Yeah, I mean, I think if you basically look at the percentage of people that are now participating in that community, you know they're being a lot of kids are being manipulated into being involved. And I'm not saying that there's not a lot of, like I said, like I'm not saying that it's nothing against the people that legitimately are a part of these groups and need that and, and whatever, and whatever they need help or like the LGBT community, I'm not, nothing about that. It's about all the people that are now being like convinced to participate in this stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, I think they were saying like 40% of kids you know, are participating in this in one way or another at, in this current generation. And I think a lot of it is non-binary or whatever they're identifying as something to be a part of this group. But, and you're saying, you're not manipulating them? Then yeah. what, what are they doing in this? Okay, well, we just keep expanding the group. We're just making it larger. Like, come on, man. Yeah, and to the whole talk, there's there's the talk the the activist trans talking point of well, you're seeing that increase because it's more acceptable to be trans now. Okay, then okay, great. So the, that if that's the case, then how come there's not a bunch of people my age that are now transitioning? That and and also then they'll turn around and they'll talk about say when you reference things like the suicide rates being so high in that generation, they'll say yeah, well that's because there's people that aren't. Uh, aren't aren't affirming these kids or aren't going along with their uh, with their gender identity. It's tough out there for a trans individual. And you go, well, which one is it? Is it so bad out there for a trans individual that they are being driven to suicide, or is it so good out there for trans individuals now that everyone feels open to becoming one? Like these two ideas. So then the suicide's got to stop. It's got to be one or the other. You can't have you both. Can't be you, both. Yeah, you can't. These figures can't stay alive now that you've got it your way. Exactly. So they they seem to contradict themselves left, right, and center on that on that front. I just feel like the world is doing so much insane shit all the time. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> it's so it's. I mean, I know we sit here and we talk about it, but it just. It just blows my mind. Like, I feel like we're just going through this funny little era, and I'm sure it happens generation over generation, where <clears throat> these political political ideologues get these ideas, these cultural ideas, and they grab a hold of them, and they they do all this stuff with no science and no objective fact, but they make it their, their hill to die on. And then when the objective fact comes in, they just deny it because science isn't real. And I guess it's one of those things that like you need it to run its cycle. You need it to run for 20 years before it all gets highlighted and then kind of blown up. But I just feel like there are so many of those things happening right now in society. Well, to maybe just cap it off for the why some of those things might be happening. And it does, it's, it, you can sound very uh, like everything's communist, but talking about, <laughs> uh, so with, with the Marxist, the Marxist ideologues, the ones that took over academia predominantly in like the 1950s and 60s, so there's a guy named Antonio Gramsci, who was a German Marxist uh, ideologue back in the 1920s, and he started the Frankfurt School, and they were essentially posing the question, why isn't communism spreading to the West? And they realized that it was because of their culture, that they, ha that they had strong roots in Western culture. These people had an identity as citizens, whereas the peasants in Russia or China, all of these kind of stuff, didn't have a collective identity to rally around. So they thought that they, if they wanted to have Marxism take a hold in the Western world, they would have to attack it through culture. And they found, they started putting things like there's, uh, the guy that's most famous for uh, propagating the gender theory stuff is his name's Michel Foucault. He was a uh, French, uh, a French Marxist philosopher, and he pushed this stuff greatly. Very, very strange dude. But these are where these ideas come from. If you look at where the academics, he's the most cited gender theorist of all time. Oof. So when you look at where, where this rhetoric is coming from, it's from guys like these mm -hmm. who looked at, say, stuff like straight identity or like heteronormativity as the essentially the reasons why the west couldn't fall to communism that they had to get rid of this cultural hegemony before before they could instill marxism and then you go and look at all of these marxist activists man and you go why are they taking up every all of these position, uh, positions whether it be supporting palestine whether it be transgender stuff whether it be feminist stuff all of this you go what do what could you possibly link all of these things on where your support is coming from? They seem to contradict one another left, right, and center, but they always root back to being able to undermine Western values. It, that's the, that's the linchpin of, of everything they support. Right. So again, it, it's one of those things where it sounds conspiratorial, but if you follow the literature, if you, if you look back at who created these ideas and who is now uh, spreading them, it, it, it all leads back to those, those same 
kind of it's it's pretty crazy when you look at it and you go there's about five to ten philosophers and intellectuals back in the 20th century that started pushing all of this stuff like crazy and they were all fucking marxists i mean you also look at stuff like yuri bezmanov and that video he did i don't know mm -hmm. if you've seen that from the 80s i think it is you know and it's like it's interesting Ever since the Cold War ended, I think people thought that there was peace and there was like, okay, well, America's number one, the West wins. It's like, no, what happens at that point is now everybody in the East goes, okay, we're just going to continue. We're going to continue our war with you. We're going to do it in silence and we're going to take our time because they want to be in the number one position. It was an ideological war, right? Mm -hmm. Those things don't end. It's not going to end. And I feel like, yeah, I mean, in, in addition to what you're saying there too, I think there's just this other force coming from countries like Russia that are like, have infiltrated sort of the West in many ways and taken their time and methodically broken things down. And we are where we are now. I don't even think those people have to be pulling the levers anymore. I think no. back in the 1960s, they, because speaking of Yuri Bezmianov, what he outlined was ideological subversion and was talking about how it was a generational thing. Like first you need to get the intellectuals in there to train the next generation of workers. Then you need a generation of those people being out in the workforce and starting to try to position them, the, the economy in certain ways and the administrations within that are running, say, corporations or schools entrenched and then it just becomes a feeding cycle that it's like a snowball and that's where i look at it and going there might not even be anybody manning that machine not or anymore. pumping new ideas yeah. into it this very well could just be the goal that was first set out 40 years ago because it was a 40 50 year plan that they yep. were hatching it was not a short term let's get let's get uh results tomorrow idea it was all right this is gonna put us in position a 40, 50 years down the line and you look at it now and go, if they were still here to take, to take advantage of it, they would, their plan would have worked swimmingly. Well, the thing is there's evidence of them saying it. And now we have evidence of look what's happening today. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, the, the two things do connect. Yeah. So it may be like, oh, it's conspiratorial. It's like, yeah, but the guy said what was going to happen and it's happening now. Yep. But I agree with you. It's a runaway train. This yeah. is just a completely runaway train now, but it is what it is. Anything else to add today? No, that's it. I was a little pessimistic. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's, that's the huge, though, I think. But uh, all right, if you did enjoy today's episode, don't forget to head over to our website, blendernews.com, B-L-E-N-D-R news.com, to sign up for our newsletter, which goes out six days a week. And thanks for watching. All right, bye, everybody.